Welcome to the Next Level Brands podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us today at the Next Level Brands podcast, brought to you as always by the crew at nextlevelbrands.com. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, health, or wellness, please check out the services offered at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's. Courses, workshops, founder coaching, fractional marketing, and sales resources, and a whole lot more. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. Take your brand to the next level with Next Level Brands, what you need to know to grow. Well, I'm Steve Clear, and today we're welcoming Daryl Gormley to the program. Daryl is the CEO of Aquamar, which is an enterprising provider of seafood, but with several differences. Aquamar is a disruptor and a leading manufacturer and producer of the highest quality and sustainable surami, surimi, sorry, Products for food service, retailers, value-added processors, and to consumers. Gormley brings three decades of extensive food manufacturing and distribution experience to Aquamar, including general management, marketing, sales, manufacturing, distribution, and engineering. He's worked in big CPG for several notable companies, including Sara Lee, Kraft, Frito-Lay, Grande Cheese, and more. Let's dive into this pool and get the story. Welcome to the show, Daryl. Thanks, Steve. Glad to be here. So I need to pronounce Surimi properly. That's the first thing. We're going to get that straight. <laughs> hey, you're not alone in that. But, but, Surimi, you know, if you're, if you know, you're a Asian or in a Latino. Surami, sushi, you know, whatever. whatever. Uh, sure, sure. But, but, but I've eaten a lot of it. Let, let's start, first of all, for the benefit of those in the audience who may not know, talk a little bit about Surimi and what it is. Yeah, thank you. So Surimi has thousands of years of heritage based in Asia, and it's a fish product, and it's marketed in North America as imitation crab meat. And mm-hmm. so you see it in the grocery store and retail as imitation crab meat. And you probably have experienced it if you've eaten sushi because it's a primary ingredient in California roll. Oh, of course. That's right. Yeah. Sure. I know that. I eat a lot of California roll. Yeah. So l- probably the best way to get started on this sort of in the is your background is pretty extensive in CPG. How did you get to Aquamar and what was Aquamar doing before you got there? Yeah, lovely. So we're very glad to be at Aquamar. I've just been here a couple of years. And I came really with an opportunity to do a few things. One is I wanted to work in Surimi. You know, Surimi is a low-cost, sustainable, high-quality protein. It's a wonderful time for protein. And I really feel like Surimi has got an extraordinary opportunity in front of it. It's got a great heritage, but it's got a lot of opportunity in front of it just based on on being a low-cost, sustainable, high-quality protein. And I also came because I really like the structure of the Aquamar business in the industry. Mm-hmm. Aquamar is structured differently. You, you mentioned Disruptor, you know, at the beginning of the program. And I absolutely believe that we had that opportunity by virtue of the structure of the industry and how Aquamar is structured yeah, differently than the rest of the industry. And that's that's really what attracted me to come. Now, when you came on board and, and the company had been around a while and whatever, you were looking at it maybe from the different backgrounds, right? In CPG and whatever. What did you what did you see that was really positive going forward? And what did you see needed to have some some tweaks? Yeah, totally. So, so what I what I what I really love about Aquamar, and I come in as an outsider, you know. So here I've worked in you know in the food industry for thirty five years, right? In manufacturing and distribution, and as you can imagine, it seems like a big industry, but not after after that much time. You know, you get to know a lot of people, and I come into the seafood business having worked in meat and coffee and bakery, and I don't know anybody. 
I look around and, you know, I'm looking for all the people I know and I don't know anybody. And seafood is really different. Like it's a really different industry. And I think in part because of how this industry is built. And, and that's really what I was alluding to when I spoke about Aquamar being structured differently, because the seafood industry is largely built out of people who catch fish for a living. And so the companies are vertically integrated, they fish for a living, and then they bring those products to market and they bring it to the food service market or the retail market. And, and that is a difficult job. You know, anytime we don't do that, you know, we just further process. And anytime I feel like my job is hard and my life is hard, I think about the people who are fishing for a living because that is hard work. You know, I was standing on a fishing vessel in, in the, off the Northern coast of France. And that vessel typically fishes off the coast of Norway and they're in 20 and 30 foot seas on a regular basis with 150 people trying to catch fish. And, you know, I, I was very happy to acknowledge what they were doing and then get back off board and be, you know, happy standing on the coast. And so it's a very difficult job to fish and the people who do it well, I have enormous respect for. And we don't do that. And the, the difference is, you know, if you're fishing for a living, it takes a lot of time and energy and that's where your focus really is. And Akamar just further processes and it, and it gives us a couple of advantages. One is it allows us to source from anywhere in the world. And so we don't pack what we catch. I buy exactly what we want to use. And so it allows us to maintain a more consistent and a higher quality. And so, you know, there's other benefits too, in terms of reliability, supply and cost. But, you know, the, the best part to me is we can maintain more consistency in our quality. And then the second really big benefit, and this is, this is how I'm coming at it from an outsider, you know, coming, you know, out of CPG, but not necessarily in seafood is we just focus on the consumer. And so I don't, I don't have to, you know, we don't have to worry about fishing vessels and quotas and, you know, what's happening with managing COVID on, you know, on close quartered fishing vessels for five months at a time. Right. Thank goodness, you know, we've got partners who are doing that, who are really great at that. And, and we don't do that. So we spend all of our time and energy really focused on meeting the needs of the consumer. And, and I love that position in seafood because there's opportunities there because so much of the energy in the industry has been focused on fishing. Right. And, and, and so when, when you're looking at it again, kind of from, we'll go back to the big CPG, look at things, the sales are to a lot of different audiences. So, you know, retailers, other process, whatever. And you kind of have to structure things to meet all those needs because they're different, right? I mean, they right. buy in different quantities, different timing and whatever else and get through that. Was Aquamar involved in that beforehand as well in terms of selling to all those different audiences? Absolutely. So we we sell in the North American, Central American, South American markets, and we're selling to retailers like grocery stores. We sell to food service establishment firms, and we sell to what we affectionately call value-added processors. And so these are people who are making things like seafood salad. And selling yep. them, you know, potentially in retail. And so we sell, we sell to all those constituents. But but the the but for me is that's really all we do. And so, you know, we further process fish and then we focus on selling to those constituents. And so, you know, when we have a million dollars to invest, you know, we're inclined to invest it in understanding consumer insight and trying to find unmet needs in seafood. And so, you know, thankfully, I don't have to worry about like, you know, recapitalizing my fishing fleet. Like that is right. hard work. Diesel fuel. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. In 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 that sense, so for, for a consumer side, for 
folks who may not know or may be intensely interested and can't find it on Google, what is surimi made from the type of fish, where, all that stuff? Yeah, yeah, that's great. So historically, what surimi was designed to do is use the protein that's left from a fish after the fillet is taken. So when you have, you know, so when you catch a fish, you catch a fish for the fillet, you take the fillet, but then there's all this protein that's left with the fish that is wonderful protein, same as the fillet, just just not part of the fillet. And so Surimi uses that whitefish protein and makes it into a product that can be consumed as, you know, as a seafood product. And then typically in the U.S., that's marketed as imitation crab meat. So that decision was made, Surimi came to the U.S., in the late 70s, early 80s, actually the founder of Aquamar, you know, 40 years ago was on the team, was part of the original team to bring Surimi from Japan to North America. And so he, you know, master craftsman from, from Japan, and he brought the trade with him when he immigrated and helped create Surimi in the U.S. But if you're a consumer, you would typically see this as imitation crab meat. And it's, it's made out of whitefish. Our product is made out of things like Alaskan pollock which comes from a sustainable fishery. It's a wonderful, high quality white fish and a great, great product to, for your family or, or for your personal use. Is, is Surimi often a gateway toward people who may not be real seafood lovers or to kids who, I mean, they love they, the two things, fish sticks and, and maybe again, imitation crab. <laughs> and maybe so, some imitation crabby. Yeah. Right. And, and in there. Yeah. And, and then, so, and from an economic standpoint, you mentioned, a lower cost protein. So even yeah. with the processing, it still oh, yeah. is a lower cost alternative, but with the same nutritional values. Yeah, it has a it has a couple. So it is a little bit of a gateway product in that you know we see a not not a lot of seasonality, but a little bit of seasonality around Lent and what happens for people oh, yeah. who observe Lent and they're going to eat fish on Fridays when they typically might not eat as much seafood. We see a little bit of a bump as people kind of opt into seafood during that time frame and they and they and they pick surimi and and part of the reason i think people pick surimi is it's easy and, right. and that's you know, that's really one of the foundational tenets of some of our innovation because you know surimi is cooked and ready to go and so i don't have to really think hard about preparing surimi it's it's largely ready to consume right and so the, the you know the other great part about surimi i think is it's a it's a sustainable really low cost protein so yep. you know it is you know, more than 10 times more sustainable than other meat complexes. And so when we talk about sustainability, which is a, a consideration for so many people today, fishing and whitefish and surimi is, is, a, is a wonderful product. And then, you know, the other benefit of surimi is it's really accessible because it's so, it's so cost-effective. You know, it's such a low-cost protein relative to other proteins. It's a really nice way to add protein to your, to your diet. To your diet. When, when you came on board, Daryl, again, what, what, what did you look at things that you thought could be changed. Yeah. So a little bit of an epiphany. So we were working on understanding unmet needs for consumers with Surimi. And so we're talking to consumers about Surimi. And, and I, I, I think, you know, Surimi for a lot of processors is a byproduct stream. And so if I'm, you know, if I'm running fishing vessels and I'm catching fish for a fillet, I produce Surimi as a byproduct stream from the fillet. Right. And so if I have, you know, if I have a million dollars to invest, I'm investing in my fishing fleet and I'm investing in the fillet business because that's my core business. And so for us, we're investing in Surimi. And so we're talking to consumers because, you know, that's all we do. I get up every day thinking about Surimi. I go to bed every night thinking about Surimi and, and, and thinking about how much simpler my life is. 
but it allows us to focus on consumers around seafood and surimi. So we're talking to consumers about surimi. And a pivot for us was, you know, when we talked to consumers, Steve, if you and I went out on the street right now and we were talking to people about surimi and seafood, probably in the first five or 10 minutes in a conversation with somebody in North America, they would say to us, you know, I should probably eat more seafood. My family should probably eat more seafood. Yep. And so we kept hearing this. We kept hearing this again and again. So we're talking to consumers. We're doing primary research. We're doing secondary research to look at, you know, research other people have done. And, and we're seeing that to be true also. Like it just, it's a, it's a, it was a, a really prominent theme around seafood. It's like people said, well, I should probably eat more. Well, you know, for, I'm a marketer at heart. And so for me, I love that because, you know, so much of our time and energy as marketers is to try to develop demand. And oh, yes. here is here is demand, like ready to go, like, you know, as, 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 you know, unmet today, like with the, like just a, a, a demand in the marketplace. So, so then we're asking consumers, well, if you, th- if you think you should eat more seafood and your family should eat more seafood, why don't you? And what people shared was a lot of the same theme was, I just don't know how to prepare it. So people would say, I don't understand it. I don't know how to make it. And, you know, we start, we have all these conversations and a huge theme in the conversations is people want to eat more, but they don't know how to make it. There's also, there was also feedback secondary to this, but also around when I make it, I don't like the smell. And I, and I laugh, I laugh about that. I I live in New York, I live in an apartment. I share a really dense uh, space with a lot of other apartment dwellers and I, (laughs) and I disproportionately eat seafood. I eat a lot of seafood, as you can imagine. And my apartment, you know, co-dwellers, like in the hall, it will say, you know, wow, Daryl, you eat a lot of seafood. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, oh yeah. I think they're reacting to the smell that comes out of my apartment after I make seafood. And so we hear that from consumers as well as that, you know, as a secondary concern, the primary issue is they don't know how to make it. But the secondary concern is, boy, they don't like the smell. And, you know, as a marketer, I, I've heard people say a lot of things about their interests and what their habits could be and what they want to do. And it's good to hear it, but then you also want to validate it with actual behavior because, you know, people aspire to things, but they don't always follow through. And yeah, as you can, as you can imagine, right? Absolutely. Yep. So we're checking. So, you know, so we're like, okay, do we, do we think that's really true? Like people want to eat more seafood and they don't know how to make it. And one of the facts that is undeniable that kind of supports that 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 statement from consumers is 75% of seafood in in the US is purchased in food service. So they're it's eaten at restaurants. Right. And the the number of meals eaten in restaurants as a percentage of total meals is 25%. So a quarter of the meals in are in food service, yep. but 75%, three quarters of the fish is eaten in food service. And I think that's that's really interesting validation for that statement because people say, you know, I, I would like to eat more fish and, and I don't because I don't know how to make it. And they, and they disproportionately eat fish and food service when somebody's making it for them. And, and you know, and I, I don't like to use my household ever as, as evidence because there's a lot of prejudice, obviously, being in the business for as many sure. years or whatever. But it is true that, yes, my wife and I both want to eat more seafood. Uh-huh. You know, I, I've worked for a couple of seafood companies in the past, Highliner and, and CPAC, uh-huh. uh, during which time I ate more seafood than I do now, for sure. <laughs> but uh-huh. since I'm the cook in the household as well, uh-huh. when we're preparing a menu for looking for the week, uh-huh. it's always kind of my wife's third choice. 
Uh-huh, interesting. Sure, sure. Right. Okay. Yeah. And by the time we get done, somehow it hasn't. So I fight the battle exactly as you're pointing out is yeah. when we go out, a lot of times I te- you know, I can make my own steak. I don't, sure. I don't need another steak from a restaurant, Yeah, yeah. but to get something, a nice halibut or whatever, then yeah. I would just as soon do that in food service. So we, we help to support that statistic. Absolutely. There you go. So personal experience. And, and I found that to be true also like anecdotally, Right. Because we do the research like we do qualitative, quantitative research. So, right. you know, doing rigor in the, in the research to understand it. But then you also want to stress test it and say, does it make sense to you? Like, is it consistent with our experiences? And it is. And, you yeah. know, I'm not I'm not, you know, the consumer, uh, you know, the the uh, the consumer that we're targeting broadly. You know, we always got to be careful about, you know, you might not be, you know, your complete representative of your consumer. Right. But, but I absolutely believe it's true. I think that what people are saying is 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 genuine. So, so, you know, the, the, the pivot for us, the epiphany is, you know, we're, we're making serenity and we've been doing that for 40 years, but, but we're really seafood processors. And so people are saying, you know, I'd like to eat more seafood. I just don't know how to make it. And, you know, incidentally, if, if retail had its fair share of seafood, it's about a $50 billion growth opportunity. That's a big number. You know, that's some simple guy I'm doing the math and I'm like, wow, that's a big number. And so big growth opportunity, and we could really help consumers, you know, address an interest here. And, and so we're sitting there looking at this thinking, huh, you know, we started this conversation talking about surimi, but ultimately we're talking about seafood and really big opportunity if only people could help prepare the seafood force for consumers. And, you know, we walk out of this, out of this research and we're talking and we're like, you know, we cook seafood for a living. Like, that's what we do. I cook seafood every day. That's all we do. And so I think we can help people with this. And that's really the foundation for the innovation. So, you know, what's, what's different for us is we're focused on the consumer interests and we cook seafood and I don't worry about fishing vessels. So like we can just help address an unmet need. To get to that point, Daryl, from a marketing standpoint, did you guys come back, sit down and go, okay, we need to communicate this research to the other audiences in order to get more surimi on the menu, more surimi in dishes, get chefs to try. How, how'd you go about that? Yeah. So, you know, we, we, it's interesting because we share this insight and we're talking to potential customers and we're, and we're crafting consumer communication and it's a pretty simple story that's intuitive for people. So as we're having the conversation, even with buyers, People are like, oh yeah, they're and they're telling their own story. They're, you know, like like you shared the story, like I shared the story. People are like, oh yeah, that makes sense to me. And so, you know, I love that because you know, I'm a simple person. And you know, when you have an insight, like a like a true consumer insight, it's usually pretty easy to understand for people. Right. Once you articulate it, like maybe unarticulated, it's a bit of a mystery, but as soon as you call it out, people are like, Oh yeah, I get that. And so, you know, this is kind of where we are. So I think we've got an opportunity to bring innovation to a marketplace that really has suffered from a dearth of innovation. If you and I could go back in time, Steve, to like when Surimi first came to North America in 1980, and we picked a package off the shelf in 1980 and put it on the table and took a package from the market today, right? largely the same, like very hard to tell the difference. And I can't think of another category in food or actually any other consumer market where there's been so little innovation for so long. Right. And if you think about every other part of our life, I'm, I'm, you know, we're talking on this program and you and I aren't in the same room 
And I'm looking at you and we're having this lovely conversation by virtue of technology. That's which right. Didn't exist like a handful of years ago. No. And now it's like a huge part of our lives. And yet here we are with seafood, largely unchanged for decades. And, and, and I look at that and I'm thinking, well, how could that be? But, you know, the, the truth is like people are focused on fishing and, you know, like where other markets have really put time and energy into understanding unmet needs of the consumer. I think the industry has got its hands full with managing a really complex supply chain and, and they just haven't had the, the time and energy to really put more emphasis against the unmet needs of the consumer. And, and that's where I think the opportunity lies is, you know, we could do a lot more. One, you know, one thing that's important to understand about Aquamar is, you know, we are purpose-driven. Like our, we have a fundamental belief that people should have access to healthy food. And, and specifically right. for us, that people should have access to healthy protein. And that, that belief's at the heart of everything we do. And so if I can help people gain access to healthy protein and help them, you know, honor their interest in eating more seafood by cooking it for them, you know, let's go. In, in, in terms then of how Aquamar then interrelates with the, with your target audiences, did you guys encapsulate some of the research to put it out there? Did you talk to processors? Did you talk to buyers, to retailers? How did you go about, you know, taking the, you know, taking the gospel out to the crowds? Yeah, great question. And and that's really the that's in progress right now. And we're having these conversations right now with buyers. Interestingly, um, you know, buyers are super receptive to this because, you know, when we walk in, they look at us and they're like, aren't you guys the Serimi guys? And we're like, yeah, yeah. But we're talking about, you know, ready to eat seafood. And so very happy to sell Serimi. We're going to always have Serimi as a key part of our portfolio. But I think our opportunity is larger than that. And our opportunity with the buyer is larger. And so for us, when we're talking to a buyer, we're talking to them about growing the category and sourcing volume from non-seafood protein. And so, you know, it's interesting. We, we've experimented with bringing some of the ready-to-eat products to market and we're talking to consumers who are buying it. And so we're, we're selling this product and, and we're doing consumer intercepts. And the consumers, we're saying to them, well, okay, you got, you got this new card, amazing. And why? Like, what were we going to do? What, what happened? And they said, well, you know, I was going to, I was, I wasn't necessarily going to buy seafood. Right. And I decided to buy seafood because this looks really easy to me. And yeah. so I can, yeah. you know, I, I want to eat more seafood and this looks like an easy way to do it. And the, we're sourcing volume from protein. And so these are not seafood necessarily going to be on a seafood buying trip. Like this is a, a shopper who might not have been buying seafood and now suddenly they're buying seafood. So when we're talking to the buyer, you know, we're talking about the opportunity to grow the seafood category. And uh, wow, that's, you know, that's a, that's a exciting conversation. Like the, you know, people are receptive to talking about that for sure. Right. Yeah. They're going through that. I know in, in some of the work that our agency did with, with Highliner, we, we were working on some frozen higher end pre-prepared fillets. Sure. All right. And, 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 and they were, they were really, they were really good product. The, the issue is, and not telling tales out of school, but the issue is, is that that's not where the money is in the business, right? That, that where we'd have to sell a lot of those fillets to, you know, to, to make up for the fish sticks because, I get it. right, right. That's where it goes. The sticks and, are amazing. Yeah. 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 And, and, yeah. and, the, and from a manufacturing standpoint, at least on their side, again, as you mentioned, yeah. vert- vertically integrated, whatever else, if we don't sell it as a fillet, it goes into the fish sticks. I mean, is yeah. it? 
right? Because that's what we're going to, in the end, that's what we're going to sell. Yeah. But the, the idea from the consumer side behind it was to eliminate this. Okay. I have this piece of fish. Now, what do I do with it? It was to say, oh, well, what we're going to do is we're going to put it in a butter sauce with some shallots and some garlic and sure. some pepper on top. Yeah. And all you got to do is, you know, is, is bake it. Now, today, you probably do it sous vide, but, you know, right, you said frozen, but you just put it in the water and let it heat yeah. up and it'd be just fine. But, yeah, there's a lot of innovation available there. And certainly, there's a whole bunch of consumers who are looking for some alternatives Yeah, in That's the right. stores to what they're doing. And, you know, so that, that that's always good from a pricing standpoint and value added from a pricing standpoint, are you still trying to be a lower cost protein or does that convenience factor now allow you to, you know, get a little more price? Yeah, go, go to a different place. You know, our, our interest is to be accessible. So again, you know, honoring our belief, you know, everyone should have access to, to healthy protein that, you know, everyone, not, not some people, <laughs> right, but right. all people should have access. Yep. And so it causes us to look at it from a pricing strategy standpoint, to be pretty aggressive, to make sure that we're actually accessible to a lot of people. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, and I think, I think we've got a lot of room to do that, honestly, because you know, the, the other protein complexes with, with which we're competing, you know, if you think about protein broadly, there's a lot of room there because some of the pricing is really high. And that's, that's always true, but it's especially true right now. Are you feeling the sustainability kind of push from, oh, yeah. from your, Absolutely. yeah. 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 We, and, and, you know, that's a, that's a part of the conversation. I think it's for most consumers, that's something that they're, they're interested in. I, I don't know if it changes their buying decision, but it's an important consideration when they're making choices. And yeah. so, I don't, you know, I don't know if a lot of consumers would, would select on sustainability alone, but it's, but it's, but it's an important consideration. And, you know, what's nice about, about the products that, that you and I are talking about today is those products are much more sustainable than the best protein complexes, you know, beef uniquely challenged from a sustainability perspective. But even when you look at chicken, you know, whitefish is much better from a sustainability perspective than chicken. Yeah. And so it's a really, it's a good story. And so for people who are sensitive to sustainability, I think a large portion of the population is sensitive at some level. This is a good story. And if you're very sensitive to it, this is a great choice for you. So are you looking now at the, the key to expanding stream usage or whatever is a convenience factor with, with the consumer or with trying to convince food service chefs to become more involved with it? What, what's your tack at this point? Yeah, I think there's an opportunity for both, honestly. And, and so, you know, we're helping drive seafood consumption. Chefs in food service are already providing that convenience. That's why I think it's, it's you know, it's overdeveloped relative to the total market opportunity, like, like food service is more developed. So I think there's a growth opportunity in food service, but I think there's a larger growth opportunity to make seafood more accessible in retail. And so we'll, we'll, we'll probably, we'll probably be more successful, I think, in, in changing and disrupting the market in retail, just given the nature of the convenience solution we're bringing. But I think there's room in, in both markets. How did the pandemic affect, you know, from both from a production standpoint, supply standpoint, as well as consumer standpoint? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah so challenging. And, you know, if, if you and I could go back three years, you know, I, I, you know, I was sitting in November blissfully in 2019, not anticipating a pandemic. Amazing. And, you know, the, the, the pandemic is so challenging from a, a personal perspective for so many people, 
right? There's so many loved ones lost and lives yeah. disrupted. Yep. It's, it's, it's hard to overstate how challenging the pandemic's really been. And so, you know, acknowledging that, I think the pandemic uniquely challenging time and, and true also in business, like it's, it's challenging, you know, we're, we're operating manufacturing operations that have, you know, hundreds of people working in close proximity to each other. Yep. So, you know, our business changed materially. You know, I started with a company in March of 2020 and, uh, you know, our first order of business was to figure out how to operate in a world with COVID. And so, you know, we spent uh, a ton of time and energy up front to say, how do we run in a way that protects our workforce so people can feel safe coming to work? When a lot, you know, I was, it's interesting now watching people return to work and all the discussion because we've always been here, right. you know, like we've always been at work. And so we took a lot of steps and had to make a lot of physical changes and operational changes in our business to make it safe. We, you know, I will, I will tell you, we operated manufacturing through the pandemic without having an outbreak in the facilities. And I think, wow. you know, part of it, what, yeah. yeah. And part of it was we were, we've been incredibly disciplined and, and, you know, people, you know, will give, will give us a hard time sometimes around like, can we relax, you know, one tenant of this? And the answer, you know, has been no. And we've also been lucky, you know, cause a lot of people have taken steps and still had a difficult time, but so we were fortunate in that way. But uniquely challenging time and uniquely challenging with supply chain and that, you know, that that endures like the supply chain challenges, hugely difficult. That's been both a challenge for us and a help for us and in both in, in, in all ways, because, you know, we're disruptors like the nature of our business. We're not the incumbent, you know, so we are the incumbent Serimi maker, but we're we you know, we our pivot is to compete in seafood. And so we're we're not the seafood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the outsider. In, yeah, yeah, yeah we are totally. I'm the outsider as an individual and we're outsiders as a company. And, and, uh, and so having a disruptive time in the marketplace in, in some ways is helpful. And so, you know, I would tell you that, you know, personally, the pandemic incredibly challenging and let's acknowledge that operationally challenging. And uh, we had to do a lot of things to, and still do, you know, we're still in COVID protocols. Oh, sure. Of course. Yep. Yep. But I would, I would also tell you, you know, in a, in a weird way, COVID really helpful for us because disruption in the marketplace when you're a disruptor is a good thing. What, uh, what, what a lot of people in, in through conversations that I have sort of day in, day out with people in the industry, plus the guests we've had on the show is if you have something that, if you have something that is a better for you, if you have something that's whose label is actually clean, if you have all these other things, the awareness level of the average consumer just shot sky high. Just oh, yeah. not so. What am yeah. I? What am I putting into my body? What am I doing? Yeah. And we're we're not talking about you know raging vegans. We're talking about normal you that's know, right. families where all of a sudden mom says to dad, "Hey, I don't think we want to buy those anymore. They're full of nitrates." Absolutely. Yeah, like, what? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's where oh, yeah. we're going to go. So there's, yeah, a tremendous amount of change during that. that I think period of in time. our lifetime, Steve, if you, you know, like I'm like, if I go back in my lifetime, I grew up, you know, eating, you know, astronaut food out of aluminum trays, you know, like, <laughs> like you know, yeah. we were super excited about that, you know, drinking Tang and, you know, oh, yeah. aluminum tray. and, you know, we never talked about what was in the product. And, yeah. and, you know, awareness was incredibly low and the, the change over the last, you know, 20 years, 30 years has been extraordinary. And I like that change. 
Uh, I think it's good uh, for us as consumers, as individuals. Yeah. But I also think it's good for the, our business. You know, if if you're on the clean side of this and the wholesome side of this, this is this is a good a good trend. Uh, operationally, I had a conversation last week about is just in time manufacturing now dead? Because uh, we've learned that just in time manufacturing <laughs> is wonderful. As long when as you have a reliable supply chain, <laughs> all the links in the chain are fully operating. Yeah, and yeah. What happens, you know, and you know, and reading about, you know, Target, for instance, having this huge oversupply, and they bought stuff, and this stuff right. finally arrived. Now they have this yeah. huge oversupply of stuff that nobody right. wants, and right. it's like we, luggage. We, we don't need luggage. You haven't been traveling for two years. <laughs> no, we, we need luggage. It's like, oh my god, <laughs> we're slightly out of that that whack. But that has been all the way, and. Still, as you know, today, a huge challenge, transportation, the supply chain, everything. Sure. Oh, yeah. Not sure where it's going to go yet yeah, at this point. That's I mean, right. It's really, really bad. L- yeah, let me ask you, Daryl, about I'm, another yeah. kind of you know big topic, and that is plant-based seafood, cellular yeah. seafood, oh, interesting. Uh, which is scary for me to even talk about cellular, but yeah. it's yeah. there. Sure. What about it? What are you guys looking at? What do you think? Yeah, so a great question. And it's interesting because we're a seafood company, but you know, we are introducing in addition to like ready to eat seafood, like the prepared seafood, which we've been talking about today, we're also introducing at the same time a plant-based seafood line. And right. and I I love that because there are a bunch of consumers who love seafood and are uniquely sensitive to sustainability. And they're also sensitive to fish welfare. And, you know, like the product line that we're bringing to market right now is, is vegan friendly, but, you know, in, in, in fairness to the market opportunity, I, you know, I'm very happy to have someone who, who subscribes to a vegan lifestyle buy and, and use this product. That's great. But our target's much broader than that. And, you know, you know, we, we like to use the word that was coined in industry flexitarian, you know, these are yep. the people yep. who are in the mainstream of the market, the large market, and they are interested in making small changes in their diet, those small steps to improve their diet. And we're happy to participate with them. And so, you know, if, if you took our plant-based seafood and put it in your cart next to your ground beef and your pork chops, all good, you know, like nothing wrong with that. And so, uh, you know, I, I love that opportunity. And so we have a, a really lovely, really wonderful plant-based line. And you know, it's funny. One of the things that we talk about in our business, which is not unique to food, is taste matters. It always matters. Yeah. And and so, you know, I've worked in the food industry a long time, and I've heard a couple of times in my career where people are arguing, "Well, taste isn't important in this part," and it, it <laughs> it's always important. Always important. Yeah. And so taste uh, wins. So, yeah, it, it always wins. And and so we've worked really hard to bring a a product to market that eats really well. And so we believe we've got a product that, you know, doesn't, doesn't cause you to have to make a trade-off on eating experience in order to eat a plant-based product. When you're in that formulation, did you say, okay, this is the number one fish consumed or fit or shellfish that whatever we are doing and then say, okay, we need to build to that. Or did you say this, we're going to do this one because we can get the taste close? How'd you go about that process? Oh, great question. So, you know, we and worked it as an adjacency to our existing business. So we looked at the products that we know really well. And so we work in whitefish 
all the time. Now, the nice part about whitefish is it's a really popular fish. So we looked at whitefish and we looked at shellfish because we work in shellfish and we said, okay, we're really going to focus on plant-based and do it with the whitefish that we know. And so, you know, we, we could have looked at some other species perhaps, but, you know, we, we wanted to leverage the knowledge and the experience that we had so we could do a good job. And that's, that's kind of where we started. Yeah. Yeah. Go for that. Yes. As a, as a chef once told me, you know, I love whitefish because it tastes like however I sauce it. Yes. So I love that too. And that's, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of to my comment about surimi, you know, surimi in its, in its, you know, raw form is completely flexible. And, and so I think it lends itself really well to, to flavors. And I think whitefish does, you know, by extension, and that's, that's kind of where we focused. Yeah. Killer, Daryl. Yeah. Different yeah. story. What, what, yeah. what are you looking at? Are you looking at? Yeah, we haven't done anything with cellular. I'm, you know, I'm a scientist, you know, I grew up an engineer. And so I, I think it's interesting to consider cellular. I don't understand it well. No. Yeah, 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 so, I don't, yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm largely ignorant of it right now. I, I think it's interesting though. And I, you know, when we think about protein, you know, so we say, you know, our belief is that, you know, everyone should have access to healthy protein. And one of the things we're keenly sensitive to is food insecurity. Okay. And, and so, you know, like right now in right now in the U S you know, here we are in, in one of the richest countries in the world, and there's going to be 17 million kids who are food insecure today, children who, you know, don't know where the next meal is going to come from. And so, you know, when you, it's, it's, and it's, it's crazy. And it's really, you know, for you and me in the industry, it's a, it's a, it's a matter of will, not a matter of means. Like there's enough food. It's really about access. So solvable problem. And, and so for us, when we look at that, you know, we want to make sure that people have access to wholesome food on, you know, what, when they need that, like multiple times a day. And, and when you're food insecure, one of the first things to go is protein. And so, you know, so if you are, if you are not sure where your next meal is coming from, very likely that you're protein deficient. And that's true as an adult and it's true as a child. Yep. So, you know, for us, when we think about, you know, everyone should have access to healthy food, everyone should have access to healthy protein. We've got a really great opportunity to work protein in a bigger way. And so, you know, we, that's, you know, that's what fuels our effort. But then when I think about alternative sources to protein. So plant-based, cellular, you know, other sources of protein. I think about the, the global uh, situation with right, hunger right. And, yeah. and, and, and protein needs, more the merrier, the more the merrier. So, you know, if someone can develop a great solution in cellular, God bless them, let's go. Because, you know, we, we got a lot of needs. Well, and, and, and the sad part here is, is in, in the U.S., is we also throw away way more than enough to take care of those 17 million insecure people oh, every yeah. day. Just throw yeah. it away. Pick your number 30 to 40% right of food is, is wasted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, yeah. I, I work with a food recovery group here in, in uh, Boise awesome. and it's insane. I mean, it's, yeah. when you start into it, you go, oh yeah, we're going to take some stuff, the farmer's market stuff, we're going to do that, made a couple of restaurants, you know, Albertsons, you know, whatever. Then all of a sudden you start getting into it and you, oh, get, yeah. you get hospitals and cafeterias that prepare meals every day. Yeah. They don't know how many of the staff is coming. They know how many patients they have, but they don't know, yeah. right? And it's like, it's four o'clock in the afternoon. It's like, hello, we have 200 roast beef sandwiches. Right, what and are we doing? Right. They gotta go somewhere, yeah, right? Maybe. Or they get tossed. And That's right. <laughs> uh, fruit, fruit and vegetables, yeah. same thing. What a Just, terrible move. 
Yeah. yeah. You know, last year due to trucking issues, we had a farmer uh, 600, yeah. you know, 600 tons or whatever, 60 tons, or whatever of asparagus. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Couldn't go yeah. anywhere. It's Couldn't too go. late. Yeah. Don't have, don't have the truck. Uh, that's oh. brutal. And yeah. So in the same neighborhood, we're throwing food away. We have people who are food insecure. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. Literally yeah. within miles, crazy. within yeah. miles of each other. Yeah. Just Absolutely crazy. crazy. So there's a lot of opportunity and, and, you know, I think they're, you know, so when you talk about protein, back to your question, if someone can develop additional ways to, to bring protein to a, to a, a mass market, both yep. in the U S but then by extension, you know, globally, absolutely. Yeah. yeah let's go. Big, big answer to the question. Well, Daryl, Hey, I really appreciate you coming on, spending some time with us talking about Thank Aquamar you, or whatever. Thank and you. I, I respect I wanna, what you do. And I appreciate that. I want to get, I want to, I want to try the plant-based line as Lovely. well. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It could it'd be a lot of fun, but we have a, a segment of the program for fellow entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs. We call words to grow by. And it's huh. the idea of kind of one of, it can be a, it can be a word. It can be a quote. It can be whatever you want to leave the audience with in terms of, you know, entrepreneurship and pressing forward and building companies. Lovely. So I'm a simple guy, right? I've said that a couple of times. Absolutely true here. And I would leave you with a word. Like if you're an entrepreneur, persist. Persist. And, you know, like I, wow, we make a lot of mistakes. And so, you know, as we talk about, you know, the innovation that we're working on, we're bringing to market, we have made a ton of mistakes along the way and we push through. And so we take the learning and we adapt and we continue to to move forward with, you know, a North Star kind of guiding our effort. And, you know, if you're, if you're an entrepreneur, boy, you know, you've got an opportunity to learn. You're going to learn in the iterations. And it's really important that today you persist to be successful. It's part of what makes this business so fun. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Appreciate it. Okay. Thanks so much, Daryl, for joining us today. Also appreciate the rest of you spending time with us. Thanks to everyone out there for joining us for the show. Thanks as well to nextlevelbrands.com for production assistance. We're always grateful for feedback and comments we get. If you have an idea for a show topic or a particular guest, please feel free to reach out and let us know. I'm Steve Clear. We'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.